everyone. Here we are for podcast number two. Now, this isn't podcast number two specifically because the first one had multiple parts to it, but this is going to be podcast number two, and it should only be one part. And I want to continue with the theme of talking about nonpartisan things. And, you know, just, just to reiterate, we want to talk about nonpartisan things because we're trying to build some shared understanding. Partisan and political viewpoints and opinions tend to cause people to be ignorant or closed-minded or much more skeptical of information when it doesn't form with an already aligned viewpoint that they have. And that is why topics that aren't necessarily ingrained in political discourse are a great way to build shared understanding and illustrate for us actually that some of the philosophical principles that we make our viewpoints based off of can be consistent from one person to the next despite their political affiliation but then when it comes to some of those politically charged topics, people tend to stray from what they would otherwise consider to be uh, their political philosophies. And the topic for today, cryptocurrency. And it's got a lot of uh, tension in the news lately, markets going up and down and all around, it's highs, it's lows. You know, and, and to some extent, this includes the thing like the GameStop stuff and the traders. I don't intend to do a deep dive into the whole financial industry because that's just far beyond the scope of a single podcast. And it's a difficult nut to crack uh, the financial industry, the financial markets, the whole financial system in and of itself is a tough nut to crack, but we will touch on it briefly because it's important to understanding the nature of cryptocurrency. And it also fits in the end with some of the conclusions that we drew from the previous podcast you know, on the UFO topic. And to begin, a little bit about the financial system. So, lots of people have different opinions on our financial system, whether it's rigged, whether it's designed for corporations, whether it's designed for banks, uh, whether it's designed for politicians, you know, all kinds of different opinions. And they're probably all true because the financial system has been manipulated over time by various groups who had various priorities, and that's what you get today is this really weird, very illogical, very circular system that really has one goal, and that's to keep the system safe and functional and predictable and stable. And most of it traces its roots 
to sort of one point in American history, and that was uh, the debate over whether the government has the authority, or even whether it just should do it, creating a central bank. Now, I'm not going to get into this debate, because honestly, the average American does not have the economic and financial education to understand easily, quickly, the ramifications of different types of policy when it comes to a central bank and creating money, lending money, controlling inflation, and all of the different things that go into that. And additionally, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories, again, out there about these systems. And my take on conspiracy theories on this is the same as it is for UFOs. No, there's not some cabal who's trying to control all of this stuff. There's multiple competing interests whose interests sometimes end up aligning on different types of policy. Um, but it's all about the trade-offs of priorities and who gets to make the rules at the time and who then benefits from the nature of the world based on any rules that exist at any one time. And by the very nature of determining who gets to profit, it's kind of an uncontrollable situation. It's definitely an unknowable, unless someone thinks they know the future. And that's where you get into the risk, the gamble, the playing, if you will, the stock market and the financial markets and all of this stuff, right? Speculation is a word, it's a term of art when it comes to some of these things. And it's definitely not something that started with the beginning of the United States or even the creation of a federal bank. In fact, if you want a very good lesson on financial systems and the risks and the priorities that they bring along with them, a very good example is what happened with the Knights Templar uh, and the Crusades in the Middle Ages. And, you know, I'm not talking about conspiracy theories and all of them, you know, uh, did they find the Ark of the Covenant? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about literally the, mon the monastic order that gave rise to the Knights Templar and how in order to become a Knights Templar, Individuals had to give up property and land to the order, which just gave that order massive amounts of income and financial assets that they literally turned into a banking system and started lending money, gaining interest, all of these kind of things, which is ultimately what led them to a conflict with the government in France and ultimately ended in their demise. Um, but this is also not a podcast about that. But in terms of cryptocurrency, it may be a very appropriate analogy to understand as we get into this phase of cryptocurrency where it's starting, starting to become mainstream. 
right? It's nowhere near the dominant financial system. It's nowhere by net near the dominant even financial asset, but it's creeping. And it has popular support. And there are some reasons that people like it. And some of the reasons that people like it are also analogous to how and why the Knights Templar got so wealthy. People were willing to give up their land and property to donate or donate is probably the not the wrong word. It's more like they were buying membership in this order by giving up their land and property to that order to become a member. Um, and it was done largely because of somewhat sentimental type reasons um, as opposed to literal or logical financial reasons. There was a draw psychology, psychologically, sentimentally, whatever you want to call it, to be a nice temple, like it's like being famous. You know, it's like, you know, following a YouTube channel or something. People wanted to be a member, they wanted to be a part of it, and so they did what they could. There was benefits other than monetary benefits that came along with being a Knights Templar. And so people gave up their property to gain that value. Not that different from buying cryptocurrency because there are non-monetary values associated with cryptocurrency. So anyway, a long way of saying that if you're very interested in this subject and you're interested in sort of how the government may ultimately deal with cryptocurrencies, the Knights Templar story of their banking and their wealth generation is, I think, a very good foreshadowing of, of one possibility. So, again, we'll start with a, a brief couple of accepted observations of the financial system. And, you know, qualification, I'm not a financial expert. I don't have any you know, hyper-training or hyper-education in financial institutions and markets and a lot of behind-the-curtain the type of stuff that goes on. And that's not my intent. These podcasts are, are, are aimed for the, you know, the ordinary American, if you will, the average American, because we should be able to have discussions about things that impact us, even when the nuts and bolts of them are so advanced that we're not in a position to discuss them intelligently. And so, big, broad strokes. And the way it played out is that, you know, there was a debate about whether the federal government had the authority to launch its own bank. What does a bank do, right? It loans money. That's what it does. And, of course, at the time, there was a lot of political nonsense about it beyond just whether it's a good idea or not. And that's one of the frustrating things about our Constitution and some of those early debates, a lot of it was already political and had less to do whether it was a good idea and more about could they get enough support to get it passed. And, of course, support comes about by people thinking that they are going to benefit from it versus people who think that they are going to suffer because of it. And at the time... The states themselves, as 
when they were colonies, especially if they were colonies, you know, that maybe started from different countries, whether they were Dutch or Spanish or whatever, they had their own banks. They had their own charters for lending money and controlling money and all that stuff. So the whole colonial period of America was very hodgepodge of financial systems. And then the states were doing the same thing, but one of the whole purposes of the initial coming together of the colonies and the Constitution was to create a single currency. And again, currency law and the history of currency and the very nature of fiat money versus you know, gold coin, that's all out there. And you know, I encourage anyone who's interested or has time to read even just the basics on it. Because as cryptocurrency comes in to being more mainstream, you'll hear like people like Elon Musk talk about fiat money. And it's almost become like a catchphrase among people who talk about cryptocurrency. But there's a lot of people who use the words fiat money, don't really know what they mean, and they don't know where that phrase comes from. They don't know why fiat money was created to begin with. And what the implications of something actually being fiat money really is. It just sort of becomes one of those buzzwords, one of those popular terms that people throw around. Um, kind of like the word chauvinistic. Most people who use that word literally have no idea where it comes from. They think they have a concept of what it means, and they try to use it as a descriptor, and it really just shows ignorance whatsoever. Fiat money is kind of the same thing. But the point is, is that, you know, after the Constitution was created, there was a debate about whether the Constitution gave the federal government the authority to create their own central bank. And generally the purpose was to give the federal government kind of its own money, for lack of a better term, its ability to direct monetary policy by being able to control lending and minting of money and all of those different things. A number of different philosophies on that. Like I said, it was a debate. We obviously have one. It actually got passed. It actually got, you know, survived its constitutional challenges. And kind of at a high level, the way the financial system of America developed was that the central bank, bank of the government, would lend money to private banks or other kinds of banks or organizations who could then turn around and loan it to businesses or individuals um, or, or things like that. And one of the roles of the central bank is to sort of control the supply of money is really is one term that's used to describe it in that goes into inflation and it gets into again some of the details of fiat money and its valuation and how you determine that, how you control it, how you set it. Sure, if you are old enough or done enough education, you've heard of the um, gold standard. The history of the gold standard is actually very interesting. Um, it goes back <clears throat> and it goes back 
to some really wild the early 20th century. And again, like I don't want to get into that kind of detail here because about cryptocurrency, but man, if you got time and you're interested in this and you're concerned or curious or just want to be knowledgeable about discussion of the future of cryptocurrency, learning about what happened to folks in Europe um, and what happened during World War II is very important background. And essentially, the Cliff Notes version is that gold standard was a way to tie printed paper money to a certain amount of gold and fix it with that price. And then what happened was because the value of gold changed or could change, especially nowadays when about electronics are used, but the amount of cash money that was tied to something variable value was static and it didn't make a lot of sense. And then you had companies with countries that are able to suspend the valuation of their cash money that gold standard so they could print as much cash as they want and people could buy stuff. Which probably led to a lot of the really bad situations uh, worldwide in the years to come. Because gold standard was just a failure in that way, eventually hands were into this area where having an education, not education, educated in this area by some means, but also the Bretwoods um, Agreement, which was another way of, it wasn't exactly but it was a, a similar, similar system, a similar regime to control the value of the dollar for various reasons. And trying to take all that history and follow it up into some starting point for the cryptocurrency discussion. It's a little bit more challenging now that I'm trying to do it than I originally thought. 